Hope Church, take your seats and open up your Bible with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. And as you're doing so, I'd like to pray for us together. Lord, thank you for the activities that we can do here and gathering together. Thank you that we can sing. Thank you that we can pray. Thank you that we can read your word, listen to it read, and heard it proclaimed. Thank you that we can see growing families, Lord. God, thank you that we have the access to be able to gather together. Um, Thank you for the governments, Lord, and the challenges that they have to work through right now. And Lord, we pray for wisdom for our governing leaders to enact what responsibilities they have and do so in a way that is just and fair and we pray done wisely and righteously. Lord God, now as we turn our attention to the scriptures, we give thanks for your son Jesus. We give thanks for the Holy Spirit. We give thanks for the gift of faith. We are thankful that through these things we can come near to you, the living invisible, powerful God who calls us his children, his friends, who has sent us out as his ambassadors representing the name of Jesus, who he is and what he stands for in this world. So Lord, as we come to the word today, I pray that your spirit would be a helper that gives us understanding inspires deeper faith and loving obedience to do what it says. In Jesus' name, amen. 1980, in the spring, a young man with an amputated leg decides that he is going to run across all of Canada from the east coast to the west. But by the time he reached Thunder Bay, he had to stop He was forced to stop and can go any further. Terry Fox, he decided to run nearly a marathon every day in his early 20s with only one leg. And he wanted to do so in an effort to raise awareness for cancer research. Eventually, when he stopped in Thunder Bay, he had to do so because the cancer was spreading and it got into his lungs and he couldn't run anymore. His decision to do this marathon of hope cost him his life, but in few ways that it had done for our country before, it brought us together uh, for a common cause. Very few people in our nation have had this type of influence, this catalyzing, unifying influence. Even fewer people have been able to have that influence and still be able to maintain a good name, and a good reputation without controversy for the rest of their lives. Today is Palm Sunday. In the timeline of the events of Easter, Palm Sunday is the day before Good Friday when Jesus was welcomed into the city of Jerusalem in a parade and celebrated by the masses as a coming, conquering king. Only few days later, he would be taken outside the city, and the same man who once had that measure of influence was mocked by the crowds and called out for his crucifixion. 
The Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to Timothy. And in this last passage today, we have the last recorded words of Paul. At one point, Paul was the most catalyzing, influential, unifying voice in the church. But now at the end of his life, he'd become a polarizing, unfairly polarizing and controversial figure. And many people were even ashamed to associate him with him. Um, unfortunately, whether we like it or not, this happens in the church. And we've seen this ourselves. What do we do when that happens? When the sense of unity and commonality that we have is all of a sudden swallowed up in a vacuum in a black hole of misunderstanding. Today's message is about what to do when that happens. When others are alone and reach out for help. When misunderstanding happens and you don't know what to do. Today's message teaches us that we need to choose solidarity. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 to 22, demonstrates the reason, the method, and the motivation for choosing solidarity when disappointments and hurt and disunity happen. So let's read this passage now. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 9. This is God's word. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prissa and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come to me before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. When hurt happens and unity is broken and people are alone and reaching up for help, choose solidarity. We want to look at the reason, the method, and the motivation. So first, the reason. And unfortunately, it's because of a harsh reality. Some messages are peppy. Some messages are hopeful. There are some. There is hope here, but there's also sorrow. And the reason we need to choose solidarity is because of the harsh reality that life has enough disappointments. 
Life is filled with disappointments. And Paul had experienced many of them. Paul was alone in prison with only one friend. And now he was reaching out to Timothy for help. But honestly, it was a risky move for Timothy. Paul's imprisonment made him a controversial figure. If he stood with Paul, he might be standing in that same polarizing controversy. Winter was coming and travel was dangerous and he needed to move quickly. It was risky, but if Timothy didn't come, he would have been merely added to a long list of disappointments that really marked a lot of the Apostle Paul's life. People and circumstances disappoint us. And that happened with Paul. People like Demas and Alexander disappointed Paul. Demas, it says, because he was in love with the present world, has deserted me. Demas was a trusted colleague of Paul, similar to Timothy, similar to Titus. Demas is mentioned by Paul in the letter to Colossians and the letter to Philemon. But somehow, a trusted teammate, a fellow soldier, became captured by a love for the world that eclipsed his love for Jesus. And someone whose job was to spread the message of Jesus deserted Paul and Christ. He quit. Alexander, on the other hand, he, um, he wasn't selfish like Demas was. He was malicious. Alexander is likely the same Alexander that Paul mentioned in 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 19 to 20. See, together with a guy named Hymenaeus, Alexander was manipulating and skewing the message of the gospel with false truths, only specifically because he desired a position of power to lord it over others. Paul noticed it, and Paul took the necessary steps when uh, Alexander wasn't listening to put him out of the church. Even though he was out of the church, evidently he still kept making life hard and miserable for Paul. And he still kept opposing the true message of the gospel. He might have even been implicit in helping getting Paul arrested. People disappointed him. Circumstances disappointed him. See, God knew that, uh, excuse me, Paul knew that God would hold Alexander and Demas responsible and accountable for the decisions they made and what they did to Paul. See, other people disappointed him, but he was humble enough to recognize that it was just the circumstances. But unfortunately, the result was the same. He was left alone. Except for Luke, all his colleagues had left him. Most of them was because Paul sent them to another city to do gospel work there. One guy got sick, and like, you just can't control that. Whatever the circumstances, the result was the same. He was left alone. The few people who didn't desert him could have been more helpful to him in times of crisis, like when he was going to his trial before the government, after his imprisonment. But even then, he said, at my first defense, no one came to be with me, but all deserted me. Now, he was willing to show grace to them because that is a very exceptionally fearful time. And he recognized it was a challenging circumstances, but nonetheless, despite the circumstance, the result was the same. He was left alone. And this is a harsh reality. And we actually do ourselves more harm 
in the church, in our family, when we don't expect disappointments to come. But it happens. People disappoint us. Circumstances disappoint us. But when someone finds themselves alone, when someone finds themselves misunderstood, when someone finds themselves hurt and they're reaching out for help, like Paul was reaching out for Timothy, what should we do? See, the reason we need to choose solidarity is because life has enough disappointments. The method, though, what does it look like? What does solidarity, if we choose solidarity, I understand the risks, but I'm choosing it anyway. What does it actually look like? Thankfully, we have examples in this passage from Timothy, from Mark, and from Luke to see what true solidarity through hurt, disappointment, disunity, misunderstanding, what it looks like. Timothy. Timothy shows us that solidarity is personal. Twice Paul urges him, do your best to come to me soon. Come quickly. Let's actually turn back to the beginning of this letter, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, and we'll see, even from the beginning of this letter, how Paul wants Timothy with him. Chapter 1, verse 4. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Timothy shows us that solidarity is personal. See, joy is, in, joy is in short supply when you're left alone and hurt and misunderstood. Solidarity can often best be being there. Sometimes the best way to reach out and stand together is just to be there, not doing anything not saying anything, because often a lonely heart just wants to be cheered by the presence of a good friend. And he asked his good friend to bring a few certain things with him. He asked Timothy to bring a cloak, books, and parchments. We see here the, the, just the humanity of Paul. He's cold, and he wants some basic human comforts to read and to write while he's alone in prison, And he asks Timothy to stand with him in just this personal way so that he can find joy again and so that he can have basic human comforts again. Solidarity is purposeful, or is personal. Solidarity also is practical, and Luke shows us this. Luke was the only one at that time who was with Paul, and Luke was a doctor. Luke traveled with Paul through a lot of his journeys. Luke wrote the book of Acts that shows us how Paul went about pre uh, preaching the gospel and planting churches. And as a doctor, he would have had skills and gifts that were very uh, essential at this point in Paul's life. Paul knows that death is at his door. Paul is alone in prison. And we know near the end of his life, his health was fading, his eyesight was fading. Having a doctor near him would have had practical means to be able to minister to him. He had a useful skill set, particularly useful at a specific time. And in our own ways, we all do. See, the beauty of the body of Christ is the diversity of the body of Christ. Our nationalities, our personalities, our skills, and our gifts. And our differences allow us to be especially helpful 
in uniquely challenging circumstances if we're willing to make ourselves available in those circumstances. You are a type of person with a type of skill set that is different from others, and the Lord may have a time where he calls you to use you in a unique way that is practical. Solidarity means being personal, being practical, and Mark shows us that solidarity is purposeful. Mark wasn't with Paul at this time. Timothy asks Mark to bring him with him, the reason in verse 11, for he is very useful to me for ministry. This is a very redeeming and gracious and loving statement. Because if you know the book of Acts, you know that at one point, Mark's relationship with Paul was broken. At one point, they were partners in the gospel, but Mark proved to be untrustworthy at a time where he was really needed, and Paul was like, I I can't do this anymore with you. Barnabas, who was Mark's cousin, wanted Mark to come again on a missionary journey with Paul, but after the first time when Mark proved to be untrustworthy, Paul was like, I will not go with him. And it got so heated that Barnabas and Paul, they, they split up. But somehow, at some point, they resolved their differences, and Paul purposefully recognized that now I can use Mark. The man who was once useless demonstrated himself to be useful. And in a time when he was needed, Mark was chosen and asked to come stand in solidarity with Paul for a specific task in the gospel. Choosing to stand together, choosing solidarity, is choosing to stand for a purpose that is greater than us despite the cost. And choosing to stand together in grace. And there are a lot of unique things that you can stand for nowadays. And often I see, especially in our online world, Christians can feel a lot of pressure. That if they don't say something, if they don't stand for something when others are, that we're going to be judged or cast aside or seemed as bigoted or but a lot of the things that we do when we stand for something online they're easy it's easy to put a temporary profile picture on your social media page it's easy to to tweet the trending hashtag it's easy to sign another petition at change.org it's easy to buy a bumper sticker or buy some merch and say that you're standing together in solidarity. It's costly to stand together when it's unpopular or perceived to be shameful. But didn't Jesus even say, blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's costly to stand together, and it's imperative that followers of Jesus always choose to stand for the name of Jesus. There are lots of good things you can stand for, but it's imperative that we must stand for the name of Jesus, who he is and what he represents. And that's often unpopular. And that's often costly and risky. But we're choosing to stand for it because we're standing for something that's greater than us. That's what Paul was asking Mark to do to stand with him for the sake of the gospel. 
his message, his church, his mission to welcome the outsider, to care for the poor. This is what solidarity looks like. It's personal, it's practical, it's purposeful. And solidarity does mean that when others reach out to us, we need to stand with them. But there's another side of that coin as well. When we individually are hurt, when we are disappointed, when we feel misunderstood, we need to allow people to reach in to us. The biggest obstacle, I believe, to true solidarity is a lack of trust in one another. Solidarity will only work if we have the love to reach out and the trust to let others reach in. But when disappointment happens, especially in the church, letting people reach in and reaching out to others is sometimes the last thing we want to do. Disappointment can make us like shrivel up like a timid turtle. We just pull in all of our vulnerable parts and we say, I can protect myself. And often when disappointments happen, we pull ourselves in and we protect ourselves in this little shell that we create from the callousness of indifference towards others and pessimism towards life. And we just become jaded and cynical because we think it's the only way I, I can maintain. I know, I know I'm not loving Jesus like I should. I know I'm not loving others by sh- like I should, but I just don't want to be hurt again. Disappointments can also make us lash out like a frightened snake. People might be confused why you always curl up and pull in when they just come and want to be gentle and kind and loving, but really, you're just afraid that something's going to happen again. And like a snake, you've coiled up like a spring, and if one wrong word is said, you're ready to get the teeth out and stick the venom in and strike. I've seen both of these things in my heart in the past year. True solidarity can only work if we have the love to reach out and the trust to reach others in. The reason that we need to is because life is filled with enough disappointments. The way we do it, the method is personally, practically, and purposefully. But what's the motivation? When disappointments hurt so deep, what motivation do we have to reach out and let others reach in? Here's the motivation. Durable trust that is forged by the gospel. We will not be able to entrust ourselves to others on a horizontal relational level unless we first entrust ourselves to God on a vertical level. See, the reason that you might feel distrustful right now is because you're trying to find a solution to the circumstances horizontally around you and you're not looking up vertically to the God who loves you. Let's look at what Paul had trust in. Even when everyone else deserted him, this is where he placed his trust. Verse 17, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
This is the hopeful part of the message. This is where we can have joy. Even when you're alone. Durable trust is forged by the gospel. Maybe you don't have that now because you're just looking around and about and you're concerned about the circumstances. We need to continually, regularly make it a habit of not looking out, but looking up. And like Paul, trust who Jesus is and trust what Jesus can do. Trust who Jesus is. Listen, that your disappointment that you have in your heart, only really you can know on a human level. Other people might have gone through something like what you've gone through, but they didn't go through what you went through. But on a divine level, Jesus knows exactly what you've gone through and exactly what you're feeling. Jesus knows what it's like to be disappointed and hurt by others. And when we see what Jesus has gone through, and when we see who Jesus is as our merciful high priest, who has suffered in every way what we were tempted, yet without sin, we can draw near to the throne of grace and find mercy and help in our time of need. But you might say, it's like, well, I trust Jesus. Okay. Can we test that? Do you mind if we put that to the test? Because it's a pretty Sunday school answer to ask, say, yeah, I trust Jesus. What about in action? What does trust look like? Okay, here's the test. It's a question. Do you find it easy to stew about your concerns in your heart or vent your burdens to others, yet hard to take that same level of honesty to God in prayer? If you find it really easy to complain to others, to vent to others, or to stew in your heart, you're choosing prayerlessness, your claim to say you trust in Jesus is hollow. I've had hollow trust. And here's the thing about Jesus. He doesn't turn his back to you when you're turning yours to him. Christ understands your burden. His life was a burden of disappointment. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says this about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus' life was marked by being despised, by rejected. Jesus' life was marked by sorrow, grief. Jesus' life was one of abandonment and disappointments. And whatever realm you've experienced that in, Christ knows that. And he wants you to bring your burden to him. Here's the beauty and the grace and the kindness of who our Jesus is. He humbled himself from a place of authority and from the greatest power, and became like us in our human weakness. And then he humbled himself even more to the point of death that he did not deserve. He understands the weakness and the brokenness of human disappointments. The death that he deserved is reserved for sinners and for criminals. He did not deserve that. The death that he suffered, he suffered in our place, because we are criminals, and we are 
are sinners. That's the love that Jesus has for you. When you see who Jesus is and you bring your burden to him in prayer, your complaining can turn to comfort. Your venting can turn to courage. And you won't need to fight for yourself or protect yourself because you believe this is the hope because you believe in your heart that he loves you and that he's for you. And he is. The cross is proof of it. Trust who Jesus is and trust what Jesus can do. And what Jesus did for Paul, Jesus can also do for us. What did he do for Paul? He stood by him and strengthened him. Here's what he can do for you. He stands with you when others won't and strengthens you to do his work. Look at verse 17 again. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Why? To make life easier? No. For a purpose in the gospel. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles, all the nations might hear it. Paul knew he had a calling. Paul knew he had a task to preach the gospel to all nations. And as a follower of Jesus, you too are called to that task. His imprisonment was not a roadblock in God's calling. In fact, it was the means that God used to fulfill his calling. See, through his imprisonment, he was finally able to get to the cultural center of all life in the ancient world that he was longing to get to. He finally got to Rome. He finally got to where Caesar was. He finally got there, and the reach of the gospel in his preaching expanded in ways that it couldn't have if he wasn't arrested. So it was through the disappointment and through the pain and through the hurt that God used him to fulfill his calling, but God stood with him through it. It wasn't evidence that God was against him. It was the proof that God was for him because through that pain, God accomplished his purposes and that's what God wants to do through you. He stands with you when others won't and he has a purpose in your pain. And he rescues you and keeps you secure. Look at verse 17 again. It says, So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now this is kind of unique. Because something seems backwards here. Do you see it? He's in prison. He knows death is at hand. Yet, he still believes that he's going to be brought safely into the kingdom. His life is marked by insecurity. His life was marked by torture, imprisonment, stoning, shipwreck, constant danger, regular anxiety. Yet, in all of this insecurity all around him and threats every day, he still believed that he would be brought safely. And here's what the gospel does to be able to enable you to trust in the Lord even through painful times. There is a measure of things that will, can always be taken from us. But there are a few things that God promised that can never be taken from you. In Christ, his word, his presence, the hope of eternal life. Paul knew that he could go through the most insecure and unsafe things the world could threaten him with. But even though he was still insecure in that outer realm, this inner realm of 
his hope of eternal life and the word of God and the presence of God and his calling, this could not be taken away from him. Even though everything looked insecure, those few things that could never be taken with him through the gospel meant that he was unshakably secure. Do you have faith to see God like this in your life right now? Maybe you don't, and that's okay. But look through the scriptures and see the life of Joseph, the life of David, the life of Daniel, the life of Ruth, and you will see that people just like Paul were in insecure circumstances, but God kept those promises he made unshakably secure. Durable trust is forged by the gospel. When you're able to be open before God and trust who he is and what he's done, that's the way, even through the hurt, even through the disappointment, even through the misunderstanding, even through the disunity, that you can look at others who you're not sure you can trust and you can still ask them to come into your life. Because that's God's way. Bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Stir one another up into love and good deeds. When you're open before God, you can then look on the horizontal level again and learn to be open with others. See, durable trust is forged by the gospel. Trust who Jesus is. Trust what Jesus can do and then entrust yourself to others. Done God's way, endurance always takes a team. So we can't sit on the bench. Then after some formal greetings, Paul wants some people who Timothy knows to let them know how he's doing. He then finishes with this statement in verse 22. The Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you. A fitting ending. The last recorded words we have from Paul. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Paul knew that Christ was with him. Paul knew that Christ was with Timothy. And this is what choosing solidarity looks like. I'll stand with you because Christ stands with us. I'll entrust myself to you because I trust my God. And we can stand together personally, practically, and purposefully. God help our church do this. Would you stand with me as we pray together? Father, thank you that you stand by us and you strengthen us. Lord, thank you that you want us to be the people who you've redeemed us to be, people for your own possession, zealous for good works, to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. God, thank you for the ever-present, unchanging, never-leaving love and faithfulness of Jesus. Thank you for his humility, for his gentleness. Thank you for his sufferings 
so that when we see Jesus, we can see that he understands us, he loves us, he's for us. And that we can see that he is able to carry us through to fulfill the life that you've called us to live. God, I pray that we would see Jesus as he is and what he does and that we would entrust ourselves to each other. God, I pray that we would stand with each other even through the hardest of times, that we would do so personally and that our presence would bring us joy and comfort our human needs, that we do so practically so that we're a genuine help when people need help, so that we do so purposefully, standing together for the sake of the gospel, Lord God, because this is what you've called us to. Lord, disappointments abound, but I thank you that we have the hope of eternal life waiting for us. Help us to stand in solidarity with the durable trust that is forged in the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.